Well, good morning, friends. My name's Rob, and I'm a pastor here at Capital Press. We're excited that you're with us this morning as the team comes down. I do want to remind you of an announcement made, all right? October 10th, do not come here. We are not going to be worshiping here. We're going to be at the Marriott, all right? You can make a weekend of it. We've got a block of rooms there. Special, I'm just kidding, we don't. But uh, you can stay and have brunch afterwards, so that might be nice. Uh, As Ryan said, we continue on in this sermon series on the parables of Jesus, looking at these instructive stories. And as we launch in, I'm just always struck by the, uh, as a species, how unique it is, the role that stories play in our lives, right? No, nowhere else, on, no, no other species on earth kind of has this same relationship. To my knowledge, there's been no discovery by a scientist of a cave where canines are like cataloging stories and tales, right? Kids, can you imagine if dogs could write stories? Like, I can only imagine the stories my dog Bear would write. It'd be incredible. Um, Stories play a significant role in our lives. They instruct us. They inform us. They entertain us. Um, But it's not just stories that resonate with us. It's not just the stories we read and we watch. It's also the stories that we tell ourselves. You realize that's another thing we do as humans, right? We... We have these events and circumstances in our lives, and as they happen to us, we frame them in kind of our own personal narrative, our own personal story. We start creating a story for us as we're going through our lives. And sometimes the story we tell ourselves in light of our circumstances matches reality, and sometimes the stories we tell ourselves are complete fiction, yet that fiction dominates our life nonetheless. Why all this story chat? Because the stories that we come to on these Sunday mornings, these are stories told by the creator of all things. Um, These are stories told uh, by the one who um, lived for those he loved and died for those he loved. There are no truer stories than these. And so we would do well to listen to them and to learn from them and to let them orient our lives so that our lives match the truest of realities. That's why we pay attention to these stories on these mornings. So before we dive into this story about a shepherd and a sheep, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. I pray that by your spirit, you would open our eyes and give us ears to hear of your affection for your people. Father, we desperately need to and we wish to see Jesus this morning. So would you allow us to, by your grace and for your glory, in his name we pray. Amen. Let's set the context a little bit about our story this morning. Like last week's story, remember we talked about a wedding story, a wedding banquet last week. Like last week's story, Jesus gets into storytelling mode because someone comes to him with a question. Last week, uh, the question was brought by religious leaders, the chief priest and the elders. This week, it's his disciples. Guys, he's raising up to lead his movement forward. They come to him with a question, right? And so at the beginning of Matthew chapter 18, again, Matthew gives us the details. He gives us the context of this story. He says that the disciples came up to him. Jesus has just wrapped up another conversation. Disciples rock up to him. They ask him this question. You see it there uh, at the beginning of chapter 18. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Disciples ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, friends, we're in chapter 18. 
And the disciples still seem to me missing the plot a little bit, right? They've already heard Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 that blessed are the poor in spirit. That doesn't seem to have sunk in. They've already seen Jesus commend people that come up to him and say things like this. Uh, Listen, sir, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. But I know that if you just say a word, you can heal my servant. Right. So, so they've and Jesus commends the humility and faith of that man. The disciples are not getting it yet. They, they walk up to Jesus and say, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you can tell by the way that Jesus responds. He realizes this isn't just a kind of an innocent curiosity. Right. They're not saying like, hey, we're trying to figure out kingdom dynamics. And could you tell us like who like who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right. Like that's not the sense of their spirit. The question you can tell in the way that Jesus responds. Their question is more like, hey, Jesus, in your expert opinion, which one of us is kind of on the trajectory to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So it's that question that leads him to tell this story about a shepherd and a sheep. And I, and I love what Jesus does, right? Jesus gets this question and what does he do? He starts to ask some questions of his own and starts to tell some stories. But he even adds a visual component to it. Right? If you read there in the beginning part of Matthew 18, it says that he takes a child from among the crowd. Right? So kids, imagine you're sitting here and this morning I said, hey, I'm going to need you to come up on stage and stand with me while I finish the rest of this sermon. All right? We're not going to do that this morning. I don't know how that would fly. But that's what Jesus does. <laughs> he takes a child and says, you want to know who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If you want to be great in my kingdom then you need to become like this little one, right? You need to have something happen inside of you. You need to be converted in such a way that you start to look like this little one, like a child in their dependence, in their hope, in their trust. That's something of what it means to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And it's funny, we'll see that he uses this phrase, little ones, as he goes throughout. Sometimes he's talking about literal kids. Sometimes he's making it clear that all of us who are Christians are little ones. Followers of Jesus are those who have taken up that posture, that dependency, that trust, and followed their Savior. So as we make our way through this story, now that we have the the context We're going to key in on three words and a question. Three words and a question as we make our way through the story. First one is precious. Word number one is precious. And it's because in verse 10 there, um, Jesus says, See to it that none of you despise one of my little ones. He he turns to his disciples, the the guys who are going to lead his kingdom. And he says, um, Listen, don't despise one of my little ones. How do you say that in the positively? Um, You need to esteem. You need to value. You need to, to be well aware of the fact that these little ones, my followers, they are precious. It's almost as if he anticipates uh, the question of like, well, how precious are they really? And he and he gives uh, a rather stunning insight to the answer to that question in uh, the rest of verse ten. You you read it there. He says, um, 
For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. What in the world's going on there? Like, what is that about? Right. Um, this isn't a sermon about angels, but the, the Bible does speak of their existence. Right. There, there are these spiritual beings, the helpful passages in Hebrews chapter one, verse seven says uh, that angels are ministers. That is that they serve God. And then in verse 10 of that or verse 14 of that same chapter, it says that angels are those who are sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. So Christians, those who have trusted in Christ, you need to know this. So precious are you to God that there are spiritual beings who are in his presence. And part of their task is to look after you and your life. And full disclosure, I don't know the ins and outs of all that. All right. Like I know that there are definitely times in my life where I'm like, hey, it sure would have been nice to have an angel then. Like, where was my angel? What's up with that? But I can think of a time uh, when we were living in South Africa where um, I escaped a situation where I can't explain it other than supernatural care and concern. But what the scriptures teach us is that so precious are God's people to him that him and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the son and angels are aware of and know and intervene in our lives so that we might have what we need and might be cared for in the way that we need to be cared for. That's how precious little ones are to God. Now, I wonder how many of you are paying like super close attention to your Bible or super close attention to these verses. You know, it starts, our passage starts in verse 10, and then it goes directly to verse 12. All right? You got to pay attention here. If you'll, you'll notice, there's not a verse 11 there. It might be a footnote. It might be down at the bottom of your page. I always just think it's helpful when we're going through the Bible that we highlight something like that. Like, hey, what's the deal with that? Um, uh, that's what's called, verse 11 is called a textual variant. All right? That means that verse isn't in some of our earliest manuscripts. Well, what does that mean? Um, I do not think that should concern us for, for a couple of reasons. One, it shows us, hey, we take our text very seriously. All right. The study of it, uh, our honesty about it. And so um, we're saying the, 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 those that have put these scriptures together are saying, hey, listen, that verse, it didn't appear in the earliest manuscripts. It shouldn't concern us also because what verse 11 says is true. And it's said elsewhere in the scripture. So it shouldn't concern us too much. Verse 11 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He did indeed come to seek and save the lost. And Luke records him saying that very thing. So that just explains verse 11. Word number one is precious. Word number two is lost. All right, Jesus starts this story and he makes it clear. Hey, there is a sheep that has become lost. The shepherd's got a hundred, one of them. And I love how many times you see that word one throughout our passage. Four times you see this word one. That is one matters. One sheep has become lost. And friends, life for a lost sheep is no bueno. All right. It is not good. Um, a lost sheep will not have the food that it needs. A lost sheep will not have the protection that he or she needs. 
A lost sheep could be dying of thirst. It could be right by a river, but the river could be so loud that it scares it so it's not going to drink. The sheep needs a good shepherd that leads it beside quiet waters. So a lost sheep, for all intents and purposes, has a death sentence. Now, when it comes to us humans, in this day and age, getting lost geographically is almost impossible. Right? Because we have these nice little devices that tell us exactly where we are and exactly how to get to where we're going. Now, some of us still find a way to get lost. You know who you are. But um, it's not, not real easy to get lost these days geographically. It is easy to get lost emotionally, right? We can become overwhelmed with the circumstances around us that we face uh, the sickness in our life. Uh, it is easy to get lost relationally. We know some of the dysfunctions in our families and our marriages uh, among our roommates. Um, it is easy to get lost in our life stages, right? Like think about what life stage you're in, right? You're a teenager. I can't imagine what it's like to be a high schooler right now, okay? Like when I went to high school, if I did something dumb, which I did a lot, there was no chances of it being captured on social media, right? For like thousands and thousands of people to find out about. Or if someone said something like mean about me, like the only people that heard it was whoever was standing around the person that said the mean thing, right? Now someone can say something mean about you and thousands of people can hear it and know it. That's just social media, the pressures, the challenges, the fact that if you're here uh, as a teenager, often you go into settings where what we say here is a minority opinion. Life stage, you can be lost. It can be hard. Maybe you're a young adult and you're like, hey, I just got out of college or I'm trying to figure out what my life is going to be about. You can get lost in that season. Maybe you're an empty nester and you're like, what now? Being lost can look a thousand different ways. And then you come to spiritually. Um, the most concerning kind of lostness. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and um, you're still investigating the whole faith thing. Uh, maybe you're here this morning you, you haven't made a decision to trust in the hope and grace of Christ. You've basically been living your life the way you think it's best uh, lived with no concern for your creator, the scriptures would refer to that as being lost. And maybe this, um, and this is most probably who Jesus is talking to. Maybe you have known something of the grace of Jesus. Maybe you have been made a part of his flock. But it's been a while since you've heard his voice. And you've wondered might have been a job that caused you to compromise. might have been a relationship. Uh, it might be that um, you just didn't know how to handle the trauma in your life. And so out of shame, you, you didn't turn to God, but you turn to prescriptions or to alcohol. And you have wondered, and you are lost. Again, being lost can look a thousand different ways. It's how Jesus starts the story, but thankfully, it's not how he finishes the story. Word one, precious. Word two, lost. Word three, found. Jesus goes on and continues on in the story, and he says, um, 
that the shepherd, when he realized that one was lost, he left the 99, right? It was just one. He could have just been like, oh, it's all right. But no, he left the 99, and when he found it, he rejoiced. That is, that one sheep was so precious to him, he went out looking for him. Now, I'm not a shepherd. That will not surprise you. I've never been one. But I have lost something precious, right? Some of you have heard me. I took my boys to a monster truck rally. They were about four and seven prime monster truck rally years. All right. Um, we're there. Baltimore Arena. Monster truck rally. Got my two boys. Crowds all around. We're walking to our seat. Got my two boys. Got one boy. Right. Like all of a sudden, my youngest is nowhere to be found here in this massive arena full of monster trucks and all kinds of crazy people. All right. Man. And I'm thinking to myself, I have got to find him before I have to call Liz. Like, I do not want to have to call Liz without both of my boys. All right. And then, but, but imagine, what if I did call Liz and I'm like, hey, Liz, yeah. Uh, listen, I was in line. I was getting a foot long. And um, all of a sudden, I turn around. Will's gone. I don't know where he's at. But, you know, the way I see it. He was kind of the spare, right? You know, like we got Ben still, so, and uh, he's a Duke fan, so, you know, and the way I see it, he kind of wandered off, you know, so this is really on him, right? Um, That would be absolutely terrible, right? Um, No, I, uh, when I realized he was lost, I started looking for him. Thankfully, we happened to be right by the lost and found, and somehow someone guided him into the lost and found. And so I found him, recovered him, and rejoiced, right? Because that's, that which was precious to me was now found, and I rejoiced. I didn't scold him. I didn't, I didn't give him a stern talking to. I was just thankful that I had found that which was lost. And friends, I am a very imperfect earthly father. Imagine how much more so our perfect heavenly father. Imagine how much more so the true and good shepherd when he finds those who are lost. Um, speaking about being found and speaking about being the shepherd, really, I just want you to think about the whole story of our Bible, right? It starts in the garden. Adam and Eve, guess what? They get lost. They're created and, and they have a perfect relationship with their creator, but all of a sudden the enemy of their soul comes in and whispers some things and says you really can't trust him, right? So they start to wonder, in fact, it says God shows up on the, on the scene and says to Adam and Eve, where are you? It's not like he didn't know their location. He wants them to see they've wondered. They've become lost. Right? Um, the, the story of this Bible is God's people um, being pursued and being uh, saved and then starting to forget and then starting to wonder and then the cycle starts all over again, right? That's the Old Testament book of Judges, that cycle again and again. That's the story of King David's life, right? Listen to, uh, if you want to hear talk of shepherd, uh, listen to what it says in Ezekiel chapter 34. I'll read a few verses for you. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Verse 15, 
I myself will be a shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Verse 16, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And then um, as the story begins to climax, the true and great shepherd arrives on the scene. Jesus comes and he tells stories like this. Stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost prodigal son. He tells these kinds of stories and he talks about a shepherd. He says a shepherd is one who lays down his life for the sheep. He says that and then he does that. Friends, Jesus leaves the comfort of heaven and in a sense, Jesus becomes lost. He enters into a place he's never been before. He enters into a place of forsakenness. He's separated from the Father. He enters into the darkness and the separation and the lostness so that you and I can be fully and forever found. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the kind of shepherd that we have. Precious, lost, and found. Here's my question for us this morning. How is it with you? Where, where are you? Um, for some of you this morning, again, you might be still investigating Christianity. This might be a morning where you realize, hey, I, I am lost. All right. I would say this. Um, as far as a compelled distinctive of the Christian worldview, I believe no other worldview, no other religion offers such an intimate and personal relationship with God, view of God. You're not going to find it in, in Buddhism or Hinduism, Islam. You're not going to find it uh, in the um, completely impersonal and purposeless worldview of materialism. It's not there. Christianity and Christianity alone speaks of both a transcendent God and an intimately personal God that goes after one sheep. Today would be a great day to be found. Come to the shepherd. I'm concerned that some of us are here this morning and, and we've come to the shepherd and we're in his flock, but we've wondered and we're staying at a distance because we feel like um, we've messed up so bad we can't come back to the the Father. We've messed up so bad we can't come back to the shepherd. And, and we probably even have the enemy of our soul whispering to us, hey, yeah, um, if that stuff you're into right now comes to the light, um, if God and those that love you find out about what you've been up to or where you're at right now, yeah, it's over. Life is over. Friends, that is a fiction and nothing could be farther from the truth. The second you step into the light of the Father, that's not when life ends. That's when life begins. That's when healing comes. Jesus never told a story of a shepherd that shames a sheep. And he's not going to start now. So if you've wondered, come back. 
Confess, repent, turn, speak to friends here to say, hey, I've got myself in a bad way. I need healing that can only come from God. Some of you might be here this morning and you're just thinking, the way I look at my life, I don't think anyone is seeing me or knowing me or I'm, I'm out on an island. And this passage would teach us every child of God is precious. And so you are not on an island. God sees you and knows you and is willing to send angels to care for you if need be. And then finally, it's just helpful for us to remember as Jesus is talking to his, his disciples, his future leaders on what it means to, to be the greatest in the kingdom, he's saying to them, well, you need to view my people as precious. You need to see that when, and church leaders, please hear me. When people in our flock wonder, because that's what sheep do, church leaders don't stand at a distance and gossip about them. Shepherds don't um, back away and smugly think to themselves, well, glad I didn't wonder like those idiot sheep over there. Now, if you want to be great, as Jesus says, then you need to have the heart that I have for the little ones. You need to have the heart that I have for my sheep. That's, that's what it means to be the greatest, to, to live and sacrifice and love and lay down your life for the little ones. That's what greatness and leadership looks like in the kingdom. So friends, how is it with you? Where are you at in your story? Today is a great day to come and be found by your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for finding us. If we know Christ at all, it's because you pursued us. You came for us. You saved us and you have brought us into your flock. Pray for my friends here today. Help us all to come back to our shepherd, to be thankful for our shepherd, to worship him with all of our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen.